Hello, this is Anthony Day, and I'm here with another podcast, this one entitled CRC, The Next Steps, which you can download as a hard copy off this website if you like. I've survived the registration process, I hope you did. Even though you submitted your reports on the 29th of July and went off on holiday with a sigh of relief, we all knew it wasn't over. The Environment Agency is about to start auditing. The Performance League... The Performance League table comes out in October, probably on the 24th, and you've got to start budgeting for those £12 a tonne carbon allowances that you're going to have to buy next year. So first of all, let's look at preparing for the audit. Who's going to be first on the list? The Environment Agency is currently piloting its audit procedures, but starts auditing in earnest from the end of this month, the end of September. Each full participant will be audited at least once in four years. And the agency has indicated that it will take a risk-based approach. This means that the first participants to be audited will be those with multiple sites and frequent changes, those who've made omissions on their reports, those who have reported results that look wrong, for example, 100% AMRs or maybe none at all. The most important task is to be prepared because of the way that the agency is approaching the audit. The audit process. There'll be three stages to the audit. The first approach will be desk-based and will come by phone, letter or email. You'll be asked to justify certain figures on your report or to explain some of the information you've given. You'll typically have 14 days to respond. If they're not satisfied with your answers, they'll probe more deeply. The first implication of this is that your evidence pack should be up to date, and the second is that it should be accessible. Accessible, even if somebody's on holiday. If you only have two weeks and the key person is away, you won't be able to respond on time. Why is this crucial? Because if you don't respond and satisfy the agency's inquiries, then they're likely to make a site visit. If they go to the trouble of making a site visit, they'll make every effort to find something wrong, to justify the time spent, and they probably will. A recent survey by KPMG revealed that more than half of the participants they contacted had misstated their emissions by more than 5%. Make an error of more than 5% and you're technically non-compliant and in line for penalties. Don't think that you'll be faced with an audit team of unworldly civil servants who'll be easy to confuse. The Environment Agency has retained KPMG, AEA and Atkins to assist with carrying out the audit, so there's no doubt that they'll be thorough. That's why it's critical to have your evidence pack fully up to date and readily accessible. If you can respond promptly and accurately to the agency's initial questions, you should be able to keep them at arm's length and minimise their impact on your operations. So what's the scope of the audit? Audit questions may cover your footprint report or your annual report. They may also cover the evidence pack that you created to back up your initial registration at the end of 2010. You did create an evidence pack, didn't you? I know that was last year, but the legislation allows the agency to go back five scheme years, so they may not ask for it this year or next year, but they could still ask it for the year after that, and the year after that as well. You therefore have to be able to justify your electricity consumption in 2008. Remember, in this case, this is the calendar year. 
it makes sense to get all your paperwork in order as soon as you can. You are expected to carry out an internal audit and have it signed off by a senior officer or director of the organisation. This audit document is likely to be one of the first things the auditors ask for. Internal audit is part of compliance. In its Compliance Audit Overview document, issued in February 2011, the agency states that it is not setting out to raise revenue or to shame people, and it says it will make allowances and accept best efforts in the first year or so. It also, publishes, it also promises to publish an audit methodology and guidance for auditees. We believe that this is still at the pilot stage, but should be available at the end of September. As of the 12th of September, it still was not available. Auditing will start in earnest from October. The important thing about any audit is justification. Can you justify the figures reported? Can you demonstrate a clear audit trail back to the source? Importantly, is the senior officer in your organisation sufficiently confident to sign off the internal audit? The evidence pack should have no unexplained gaps in data and should explain unusual changes. Did you acquire or sell part of your business sometime during the year, for example? A statement of your methodology, who, what, when, where, lets the auditor assess how thoroughly your data has been checked and therefore how accurate it is likely to be. If you're clearly organised, then the auditor is less likely to probe more deeply. Don't overlook estimates. At first sight, estimates are to be avoided because estimates carry a 10% surcharge. However, what is the true cost of assembling accurate data on every last residual fuel? Before sending people to remote sites to dip tanks or count LPG bottles, compare the cost of counting with the cost of a 10% surcharge. You may find that estimation is the cost-effective solution. See the Environment Agency guidance document on estimation. Audit outcomes. There are three possible outcomes from the audit. Pass fail and pass with recommendations. Pass, so all is well. The agency has ticked the boxes and they're unlikely to bother you again. Until the next phase. That's not guaranteed, but if you have passed your audit, your risk taking will be your risk rating will be revised down, so you're far less likely to be included in next year's audit list. The agency may issue a pass after a desk based audit without a site visit. Pass with recommendations. The Environment Agency expects 90 to 95% of audits to result in a pass. A large proportion of passes will be passes with recommendations. This is part of the agency's mission to promote best practice. Fail. Issuing a failure notice will be a last resort. Although some audits have already taken place, there are no reports so far of failures. Grounds for failure will include willful refusal to provide proper reports and major errors. Understatement of emissions by more than 5% will be considered a major error. Presumably they won't worry about overstatements. In case of genuine mistake, the agency will give guidance and as long as corrective action is taken, there'll probably be no comeback, although the participant may well be high on next year's audit list. More major errors could arise where the corporate structure is complex and changing and some activities were left out or double counted. Conversion factors may be another source of error. 
although the registry calculates the emissions automatically from your fuel data. If you're carrying out offline calculations, remember that the factors for CRC purposes are unique. They're not the ones DEC uses, nor the ones used for some national reporting. Enforcement. In the case of serious and uncorrected errors, the agency has wide powers of enforcement, including significant financial penalties, as well as the option to publish the results of its findings to name and shame wrongdoers. In the extreme, individuals could be liable to up to two years in prison. Imagine having to try and explain to your fellow inmates what you're in for. The agency has published a guide to penalties which lays out its options. Should you not have submitted your annual and footprints reports yet, you will by now, 9th of September, have clocked up fines of £20,000 and that will increase by £500 per working day for a total of 40 days, at which point the fine is doubled. That's £20,000 for each of the two reports and pro rata. If you don't file an annual report at all, the agency will decide what your commission should be, double it and charge you for them at £40 a tonne. This is a fine, not an allowance purchase, so although no allowances have to be purchased for the year just ended, theoretically participants could still be liable for the £40 a tonne charge for errors and emissions in the 2010-11 report. In principle, any errors exceeding 5% are equally liable to a fine at £40 for each tonne understated. Details of all offenders will be published. The agency takes the view that if organisations cannot meet the CRC reporting requirements, then there should be doubts about their management and internal controls. They hope that organisations will comply with CRC and thereby avoid exposing themselves to such doubts. Softly, softly to begin with, we're told. We'll wait and see. Performance League table. Deadline 24th of October, or at least that's when we're told it's likely to be published. When the government cancelled the CRC recycling payments in the comprehensive spending review last autumn, many people decided that the league table had become irrelevant. Position on the league table would have determined how much bonus or penalty each participant incurred. With no money returned, the league table is meaningless. Or is it? High-profile companies, the supermarkets, the utilities, the banks are all concerned to be the best in their sector. They know their competitors are going to make a fuss about it, especially the one that comes top. The press may also pick up on it, particularly if it's published on a slow news day. The problem with a league table is that it's based on two very narrow criteria. The number of voluntary AMRs you had installed by the end of March 2011 and whether you have the Carbon Trust standard or equivalent for all or part of your organisation. You can have ISO 14001 and any other standard you like. You can recycle to the point of zero waste and be totally self-sufficient in energy. But the Performance League table gives you no credit for any of this. The problem is that a poor score on the League table could be packaged up by the press to make a participant look environmentally irresponsible. So what do we do? Now is the time to prepare for the awkward questions and be ready for the uninformed comments that suggest your organisation is less than green. Of course, if it truly is ungreen, there's not a lot we can do. 
So far, the Environment Agency has said that it will not release the League table to anyone in advance of publication, so you'll need to prepare several responses depending on what your position turns out to be. Make sure your PR department knows that the table is going to be published and that they may expect journalists' questions. Make sure that the senior officer who signed off your annual and footprint reports knows the date the table will be published, provisionally the 24th of October, as he or she is likely to face both external and internal questions. Next year, the basis for the league table changes. In year two, the early action metric accounts for only 40% of your score for league table purposes. You cannot change your voluntary AMR value because this was fixed at the 31st of March 2011, although you can still get credit for obtaining the Carbon Trust standard or equivalent if you didn't have it already. The rest of your league table calculation is based on your absolute metric, how much more or less energy you used, and your growth metric, how much more or less efficiently you used your energy. In the early years, many organisations will find it relatively easy to cut usage and improve efficiency. As the phases go on, you'll need to weigh the costs of improving efficiency against the benefits gained, not only related to league table position, but also in terms of lower fuel bills and reduced liability for allowances. Preparing for next year. Starting now. Financial accountants do it all the time. Preparing for the next audit is all part of doing the books, and doing the books on a daily basis is all part of managing the business. But CRC involves a whole range of managers who have let the accountants get on with it and are not concerned with, or skilled in, bookkeeping or audit. They concentrate on the immediate priorities of their roles, and so they should. Although the annual report is the big event and there are no legal reasons to report on CRC in the meantime, there are several good reasons for getting the process under control straight away. First, no one can say there weren't surprises as the reporting process reached its climax. Often, supplier statements were not nearly as accurate as hoped, and some took a long time to appear. The CRC help desk fielded thousands of questions as people realised they didn't exactly know what to do about certain residuals, self-supply, EU ETS, organisational changes and a whole range of other issues. Confusion of megawatts with kilowatts threw up some unexpected results as well. The government, of course, has promised that all this will be simplified. But so far the changes they announced will not happen until phase two. So for the moment we have to live with the present situation. In your evidence pack you'll have recorded the answers to the questions you posed to the CRC help desk. You will also have made a note of the assumptions you've made in reaching your final numbers. You may also have documented the process you followed in preparing the reports, identifying the data sources, the people involved and the time required. This information is the basis for the procedure that you should set out for preparing future annual reports. Here's a checklist of the key tasks that you should be thinking about. Ensure that your evidence pack for 2010-11 is complete and also includes justification of your 2008 base figures and subsequent changes. Carry out an internal audit, signed off by the senior official responsible for CRC. Prepare a procedure for future annual reports. Review the situation monthly, in particular to take account of organisational changes which will affect the year's outcome. Recording them monthly will avoid a scramble at the year end to confirm exactly when they happened. Contact the CRC help desk to resolve any outstanding queries. 
Meet with your energy suppliers to review the statement process and share any lessons for next year. Make sure the finance director knows as soon as possible, if he doesn't already, how much money to put aside to spend on carbon allowances next July. Carry out an interim internal audit in November or December to check that the procedures are working effectively and to confirm whether the predicted cost of allowances for next year is still realistic. The overall objective of CRC is to reduce the nation's carbon footprint and to go some way towards reducing our reliance on imported energy. In the early years this may not be difficult, but as we go forward we'll need the support of everyone at home and at work. Long-term success needs training, motivation and a continuous programme of employee engagement. I'm Anthony Day and I'm working on the CRC and I'd be happy to work with you to help you sort out some of the issues which I'll be sure will arise over the next few years. So give me a call, cost nothing to chat. My number is 07803 616 877, that's my direct mobile. So give me a call and let's talk and let's see if I can help you cope with the next steps for CRC. Thanks for listening. Until next time.